The following program is intended for mature audiences. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Monday, December 5th, 2022. So today I'll be talking back to the talking heads on CBS Sunday morning, where Maggie Brennan interviews Republican Rhino Representative Ohio Mike Turner, who is poised to be head of the House Intelligence Committee as he discusses whether or not he's gonna support uh, Donald Trump as a nominee for president, as a Republican nominee for president. We'll also be checking out Sunday Morning Propaganda at CBS Sunday Morning, where correspondent Luke Burbank talks with tech journalist Kara Swisher about Twitter and Musk and how Musk's bid to end censorship is a problem for the establishment and how Swisher doesn't even consider it censorship. She, consider, she considers it moderation. I'll also be uh, tearing into the Sunday New York Times showing how the newspaper continually mischaracterizes the facts to mislead the public. So let's get into the news. All right, so the first article up here from the New York Times is, as shootings continue, prospects for gun control action in Congress remain dim. With Republicans taking control of the House in January, the chances of Congress will consider any added restrictions in the next two years are also exceedingly dim. Well, that's the reason all these shootings have occurred, not organically, mind you. Um, is because they want to have a chance of passing gun control legislation in the lame duck session. This is an article by Carl Hughes from the second. Despite calls by President Biden and others for post-election action on gun control, while Democrats still hold Congress, lawmakers engaged on the issue see a little chance that there will be another serious gun debate this year in the aftermath of mass killings in Colorado and Virginia. And that's the whole reason that these incidents occurred is to get a debate on gun control. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any. And I like continually say is that these mass shootings didn't start happening until the advent of the internet. So what is the connection of the internet and mass shootings? Because the rights of American citizens to own guns has been there um, for some time. And we didn't start seeing this phenomenon until the advent of the internet. And I'm not going to go into the whole thing about mind control and how the effect on dopamine and how social media and the internet in itself is a mind control device. So I know that sounds conspiratorial and everything, but it's just all the evidence points that way. And you even have social media uh, titans talk about how... Um, the internet and the interface of the internet is there to, to get you to behave in a certain way. So it goes on to say this article, with the lame duck agenda already overflowing and Republicans resistant to reopening the issue after a surprise bipartisan success on gun safety last summer, also in response to these mass shooting incidents. Proponents of tougher uh, restrictions on assault weapons 
Universal background checks and other measures say the window for more legislation is likely closed. Um, it will never be closed because these incidents will keep happening as Diane Feinstein once said. Um, <laughs> these incidents will continue. Of course they will um, until a civilian gun ownership will be illegal like it is in Canada. So uh, going on to the next article here from the New York Times, after Arkansas trial, judge weighs legality of ban on care for transgender youth. The trial, the first over a challenge to, uh, to a state ban on gender affirming care concluded last week. The judge has not indicated when he will rule. Here we have a go again mischaracterization on these articles because the fact is it's a uh, ban on care. What this is about is underage children, basically, whether or not they will be allowed to receive uh, irreversible um, genital mutilation. And so uh, they call it uh, gender affirming care. It's not really gender affirming care, it's genital mutilation on minors in a lot of instances without. Uh, without the um, okay of their parents because children are still wards of their parents and especially medical care and uh, uh, elective, this is elective surgeries, could not be undertaken without the approval of the parents involved. So that's what this whole article is about uh, in this. Uh, this is from the fourth from uh, Eliza Fawcett for Dylan Brandt, a transgender teenager in Arkansas, two years on testosterone has meant my outside finally matching the way I feel. And so this is a constant argument. But that sense of relief was jeopardized last year when Arkansas lawmakers passed the country's first ban on physicians administer hormone therapy or puberty blockers to transgender people under younger than 18. In its wake, Dylan 17, a plaintiff, an illegal challenge to the ban was confronted with prospects of moving in the state to continue his hormone therapy, moving out of the state. Again, they're not talking about whether or not his parents approved. Dylan testified in a courtroom. It has nothing to do with his parents. Now, he is 17 years old. The trial, the first in the country to uh, challenge Make a challenge to the state on whether uh, what has been known as gender-affirming care concluded on Thursday after four days of testimony. The landmark case is set to be decided. And it goes on to say, the Arkansas ban was enacted in April 2021, overriding a veto by Governor Asa Hutchinson, a rhino, who criticized it as a vast government overreach. Similar ban soon followed in Tennessee, which prohibited doctors from giving hormone treatments to pubescent transgender minors. And of course, they over they look over uh, whether or not these children have approval from their parents. It's not even in the article. Her parents at the clinic were at least 14 before starting hormone therapy, a treatment that requires parental consent, ongoing counseling with a therapist, and consistent, persistent gender identity in their affirmed gender. So at 14, I guess it, it, it relies on whether or not you have parental consent. I disagree with this overall, so. Defaults loom as poor countries face an economic storm. Debt relief efforts are stalling as developing countries are being hit by higher interest rates, a strong dollar, and slowing global growth. Again, this goes on. This is an article by David, uh, Alan Rappaport, excuse me, 
Developing nations are, are facing catastrophic debt crisis in the coming months as rapid inflation, slowing growth, rising interest rates, and strengthening dollar coalesce into a perfect storm that could set up a wave of messy defaults and inflict economic pain on the world's most vulnerable. This is all an argument for the Great Reset, as a matter of fact. And um, debt slavery or debt coercion or debt control is part of the control not only of the nation states, but also of individuals. Um, what they do is they put you in indentured servitude with debts you can't possibly uh, repay. And these debts did not aid in development. What they were supposed to do is aid in the development. And so a, a country could be more prosperous and then pay back the loans. And factually, it blocks development. Most of the aid blocks development. And so the countries stagnate, and when they can't repay the loans, the um, the uh, countries or the World Bank or uh, can go in and make structural adjustments, which means they could take over resources. It's just a way to loot the country. Uh, corporations can come in and take over um, the utilities, and other corporations come in, can come in and extract uh, natural resources. So uh, next article up here is he returned a, a day's soldier to the Russians. Ukraine called it treason. No one knew what to do with a lost Russian pilot who suddenly appeared in the occupied city of Kurzon. The case has revealed the blurred lines between pragmatism in a war zone and collaboration with the enemy. This article here is really uh, missing the whole fact as part of the uh, uh, mischaracterization. Uh, most of the citizens in eastern Ukraine uh, have affinity for Russia or Russian-speaking. And so when um, a Russian pilot was found, he was returned to the Russians. And the Ukrainians call that treason, but most of the people in Ukraine, most of Ukrainians in eastern Ukraine have uh, affinity for Russia. And so that's not surprising, but they call it treason because they're trying to push the Western Ukrainian frame of mind onto Eastern Ukraine, which has been going on since 2014, in a way to undermine Russian influence there. Um, so this is not really a, a big surprise, but they try to make it seem um, like it's odd that uh, in Eastern Ukraine, where Ukrainians favor Russia and are supportive of Russia, that somehow one of the citizens... Um, that when they came across a Russian pilot, that why is it surprising that they returned that pilot to Russia? He actually is Russian. Um, and try to keep him out of the hands of the Ukrainians, which surely would have tortured him. Why would you turn any soldier into an occupying force when you know that the outcome would be torture? So the Chinese dream denied the world's harshest COVID restrictions exemplify how Xi Jinping's authoritarian excesses have rewritten Beijing's long-standing social contract with its people. Not really. Um, again, this is velvet glove treatment of the Chinese by Vivian Wang. Um, they talk about uh, in this article that China made a contract uh, with the Chinese people in exchange for prosperity. The Chinese would have to give up some of their individual liberties. Um, and that was the exchange. And now um, that uh, the Chinese Communist Party is going back on that, any authoritarian regime, even if they give you some freedom or some prosperity are soon to take it away at their whim. The problem is you don't need that exchange for prosperity. Like you see in the United States, you have freedom and you have prosperity. You don't need to have one or the other. And so they try to make excuses for China 
um, here. Uh, the fact is this is an authoritarian regime and they want to become more authoritarian. Authoritarian regimes don't want to become less authoritarian. They acted like if we're going to let China into the WTO, that, uh, you know, all of a sudden that they would be less authoritarian. That's not the way it works. Authoritarian regimes always look to garner more power and restrict the public's rights even more because the regime is always challenged by the public itself. And here you see with the protests in China, which apparently are still going on, even though um, places like the New York Times will report that they're not going on anymore. The eruption uh, was a forceful illustration of how thoroughly the world's toughest pandemic restrictions have upended life in China. Xi Jinping, the country's strongman leader, is expanding the Chinese Communist Party's grip over its uh, people beyond even Mao Zedong attained. Exactly. Mr. Xi had tied the success of zero COVID to his own legitimacy as a ruler and enforcing it has taken precedence over nurturing the freewheeling spirit that made Hanzhou a city in China and China so vibrant. Not really. Like I said, uh, authoritarian regimes try to become more authoritarian. And this is a model that was put forth by the elite, uh, the global elite. Just like we've been talking a lot about Nazis lately is the Nazis were constructed by the global elite. All dictatorships and governments around the world are put forth, uh, their, the ideology that creates them is put forth by the global elite in sort of an experiment. So this, what's going on in China is another experiment. It's less communist and more fascist, although it's still communist because the government has to retain 51% of the ownership is that it's just more authoritarian because all the, all the elite and corporations around the world think democracies are messy. The more democratic, the more checks and balances, the more messy they consider it because why do you want the electorate getting involved in major foreign policy or domestic uh, issues? They don't. And that's why they want totalitarian regimes. They just want ones that work. And they want to, and this is what the whole nature of the control grid is, is to eliminate the threat of an uprising by the populace. They don't want the populace to be involved in the big decision-making, and they don't certainly don't want to have their power challenged. And so they have to figure out a way to subdue the populace um, without having them revolt. And that's what you're seeing in China. So because they, uh, as always authoritarians do, they overstep their boundary. At a certain point, people will say that's enough, but they want to get you on a control grid that will completely eliminate your right to stand up, eliminate free speech, eliminate citizen uh, firearm ownership, eliminate your freedom of movement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why do they do that? So they could act as they wish without any reprisal from the populace. So uh, we're in the opinion pages now. World War III begins with forgetting. And this is an article, uh, opinion piece by Stephen Wertheim. And he basically argues that uh, the, the dying of the generations who saw the advent of nuclear weapons and the threat thereof, now we have new generations who don't understand the uh, the threat that people are facing, the elimination of civilization itself by going on these, uh, these crazy foreign, getting involved in these crazy foreign entanglements like you'll see later with friggin' uh, Turner. Um, it's just so stupid that you keep challenging Russia over Ukraine 
which has been in the Russian hemisphere basically forever. And why we want to stick our nose in there to risk a nuclear war, we don't know. And this is just a a piece from it. Um, The grim reality has arrived with startling rapidity. Since February, the war in Ukraine has created an acute risk of U.S.-Russia conflict and has also vaulted a Chinese invasion of Taiwan to the forefront of American fears and increased Washington's willingness to respond with military force. That's called World War III indeed. Yet how many Americans can truly envision what a third world war would mean? Just as great power conflict looms again, those who witnessed the last one are disappearing. Around 1% of the U.S. veterans of World War II remain alive to tell their stories. It is estimated that by the end of this decade, fewer than 10,000 will be left. The vast majority of Americans today are unused to enduring hardship from foreign policy choices, let alone the loss of life and wealth that direct conflict with China or Russia will bring. Preparing the country shouldn't begin with tanks, planes, and ships. It would require a national effort of historical recovery and imagination, blah, 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 before the, this, the, the decision to go to war even arrives. And the fact is, is people haven't known the hardship of war um, on a scale that World War III would bring, and especially if it turns nu- uh, nuclear, <laughs> people are just... They're tempting fate, which is very, very disturbing because people are are stupid and vapid and without any moral uh, tether or fortitude to understand that their uh, rash decision-making could actually spell um, catastrophe on a scale that people can't even envision. And of course, we're going to end here with Jamel Bowie. Before he takes on woke capitalism, Ron DeSantis should read his Karl Marx. And um, the racist Jamel Bowie goes into his um, socialist creed about he's mistaking what the, the, uh, the Republican Party is becoming with the Tea Party and the Freedom Caucus is because the Democrats have become so tied to the um, corporate machinations of global supremacy, um, he's missing the point here. He's talking about capitalism and woke capitalism as something that somehow the Republicans, like he's confusing Ron DeSantis and new Republicans with old Republicanism and that we should read our Karl Marx. It's not it. We don't necessarily believe in, in corporatism or corporatocracy Uh, as much as we don't believe in communism. The fact is, as I just explained earlier, that communism, fascism, and these authoritarian regimes were brought in by corporate backing. That's just the reality of, uh, you know, the the Bolshevik revolution just didn't happen without money. And people just fail to to see the thread there. The fact is, is that um, we don't need to read our Karl Marx. We're just turning our back on 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 corporatism, on the corporatocracy, um, and sticking to what republicanism really is. And the republicanism is is, is a, a, a nation state that is ruled by the populace and not by corporations. And woke capitalism means woke capital. And now that um, the new orthodoxy has become climate change and gender-affirming care and all these things... Um, and rewriting of history, uh, we don't care uh, to have corporations who actually run everything push this crap down our throat. So we're not going to read Karl Marx. 
Um, I've read Marx. I don't need to reread it again. And we know what the problem there is. So it's not about capitalism. It's if an individual has capital, capitalism just means, first of all, capitalism is a Marxist term. And we don't need to go into capitalism because um, since what capitalism means is you're free to use your wealth if you have such wealth the way you see fit. That's what capitalism is, whether you're a corporation or an individual. So that's what capitalism is. What we have now is crony capitalism, which is um, it's a conspiracy of a cabal of corporations working together really illegally um, to push forth policy initiatives, both foreign policy and domestic policy of authoritarianism because corporations like authoritarianism and that's what they want. They want it here, they want it everywhere. They don't want civilian gun ownership, they don't want free speech. So that's what woke capitalism is, is, is actually talking about corporations using their wealth and political power to stifle uh, constitutionalism uh, where we are stifled, our free speech, and etc. Basically, individual liberties globally, not just in this country, but globally, they support the communist Chinese like the Democrats do, the corporations do, they support an authoritarian uh, 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 town square like, like Twitter. Uh, they don't want to see Elon Musk, so they're trying to destroy him because he wants to get rid of censorship and let people address the totalitarian nature of uh, healthcare uh, under Fauci, under what was actually a created pandemic uh, with COVID. All this is, is, is real. All this is real stuff that you can't question why gain-of-function research happened, why we were aiding the Chinese, our ideological enemy, in creating uh, chimeric vice, uh, uh, viruses in conditions that uh, the safety conditions which would allow it to escape. All these things can't be questions under a totalitarian regime. And that's what we have here. So it's not about Marx, Jamel Bowie. It's about the fact that we don't want to allow corporations um, to push whatever their orthodoxy is down our throats. And so let's go on over to, um, first up, we got, um, we got uh, Mike Turner here, who is a rhino who sells us out. Obviously, as establishment Republicans do. Now to Ohio Congressman Mike Turner, the top Republican on the House Intelligence Committee. When will this war end? Uh, but Ukraine really has to be the one that decides that if, when, and how negotiations are entered into. What? At this point, um, you know they're battling for their country. Uh, they're losing lives for democracy. You promised you can take politics out of it and actually work across the aisle. <laughs> You know, we've, uh, when I went, we went on a bipartisan uh, trip to deliver to uh, President Zelensky a message that there's bipartisan support uh, for Ukraine. What? I serve on the Armed Service Committee and the Intelligence Committee. Mm -hmm. How do we make certain that they get the weapon systems? And, of course, the expansion of NATO, which is the opposite of what Putin believed he was going to achieve in, in attacking Ukraine. He now sees the expansion. And I want to, you know, commend the, uh, the administration. To drop but nuclear weapons. To cause people not to drop <laughs> nuclear weapons. What? I'm wondering, in your new role, will you be asking the director of 
national intelligence for a briefing uh, and a damage assessment related to Mar-a-Lago and the documents the former president took to his private home. What? Prior to the Mar-a-Lago uh, raid, no one in the intelligence community or in the national security community was engaged at all by the FBI to request an assessment as to what the risk of the documents that had been surrendered from Mar-a-Lago mm -hmm. or that might have been at Mar-a-Lago or that were even perceived as being missing. Okay. This was just sure. the FBI and the, um, and the archivist, which is basically a glorified librarian, um, <clears throat> coming together and deciding to, to raid Mar-a-Lago. What did they see? What do they have? And how do they perceive uh, the threat uh, that may or may not have existed from some of these documents. First of all, I vehemently disagree with uh, with the statement that, that Trump has made. Trump has made, you know, a thousand statements in which I, I, I disagree. <laughs> there is a political process that has to go forward before anybody's a frontrunner or anybody is a um, even uh, the candidate uh, for the party. Outright treason. And neo Nazi pro Putin misogynist named Nick Fuentes came to have dinner with the former president at his home alongside Kanye West, who just this past week praised Hitler. You know, in 2022, having anyone that would make statements uh, like that, nevertheless, have anybody who would engage in a conversation with someone who is having making statements like that. So having Absolutely. classified documents at the same place where they're having the dinner, what? which were not well, that's, that's necessarily not... securely what? held, and their government records that should be in government property, what? all those things together, the problem. Well, as you know, the FBI raided his home, and there are not classified documents there. Premise and is as saying you... he doesn't know who he's having dinner <clears throat> with at that home. Yes. I believe voters are smart, and they'll take those things into consideration in a political process. Congressman, thank you for coming on and Thanks answering questions. Yeah, I mean, the documents aren't there anymore. Why should we even brought it up? And what difference does it make if, 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 if Nick Fuentes, who I don't like, and Kanye West, who is, you know, has some issues, obviously, with, with what he's talking about, but whether or not he was there with Trump has nothing to do with whether the documents whether there were documents there, and the fact that she brings up that there may be documents there that are not uh, sealed properly, it's just, it's just all ridiculous to keep bringing up points as 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 uh, avenue just to destroy Trump. None of this had really any bearing on most of the conversation where they were talking about intelligence, about China and Ukraine, and all these things that are detrimental to uh, the wherewithal. Uh, and and the country itself. It's just really ridiculous. So let's go on to uh, their hit piece on Musk. Uh, this is from CBS Sunday Morning. A conspiracy theory about Nancy Pelosi's husband. In the weeks since Elon Musk acquired Twitter, the modern-day town square has been shaken to its core. A conspiracy theory about Nancy Pelosi's husband. Musk bought the company for an eye-popping $44 billion, despite the fact that Twitter, which relies on advertising for much of its revenue, has turned a profit in only two of the last 10 years. Kara Swisher is a tech journalist and podcast host who's known Musk for over 20 years and has interviewed him extensively. Lately, though, he hasn't been such a fan of her coverage of him. He thinks he can reform it. Since buying the company, Musk, a self-proclaimed free speech absolutist, has invited back some users who'd previously been banned or otherwise restricted. Now he's antagonizing advertisers and calling them woke. Advertisers will advertise on Satan Inc. if it'll sell a Fitbit. I mean, honestly. 
after the rapper, formerly known as Kanye West, tweeted a photo of a swastika, prompting Musk to suspend his account. Anything that's more moderated, and I'm using the word moderated, not censored. What? But Musk thinks Twitter's prior management unfairly stifled conservative speech. On Friday, when reporter Matt Taibbi tweeted a trove of internal emails purporting to prove Twitter's liberal bias, Musk retweeted the thread approvingly. In the days before the 2020 election, Twitter made the decision to not allow people to post the New York Post story about Hunter Biden's laptop. I'm using the word moderated, not censored. A conspiracy theory about Nancy Pelosi's husband. Alex Stamos is the former chief security officer at Facebook and says the Russian hacking of Democratic National Committee emails in 2016 made Twitter wary of foreign influence campaigns. So they did make a mistake, but the idea that it affected the election is just ludicrous. For some, Twitter's suppression of that article became a First Amendment issue, but Kara Swisher thinks that misses the point. It's gotten sucked up into a free speech conversation or a First Amendment conversation, largely by people who've never read the First Amendment, because it's about government shall make no law. And I'm using the word moderated, not censored. Companies certainly can, and they certainly do. Due to security concerns, CBS News briefly paused its Twitter use two weeks ago. This current Twitter employee asked that we not identify him for fear of reprisal from Musk and his online fans. Whether it's local to national politics, whether it's the conversation around important cultural events or cultural issues, whether people use Twitter or not, their lives are shaped by what happens on Twitter. I'm using the word moderated, not censored. A conspiracy theory about Nancy Pelosi's husband. That it's about, like, optics. Yeah, man, what a bunch of shit. These guys, uh, they're, they're trying to fool everyone. All the mainstream media, whether it's CBS or the New York Times, trying to fool everyone into a false narrative about what this is all about. You have Kara Swisher there saying it's moderation, it's not censorship. You should look into the First Amendment. It says government shall, you know, uh, make no law. It's the spirit of the First Amendment. That's why we don't just say First Amendment, we say free speech, because it's the nature that you should be able to speak as you see fit as long as what you're doing doesn't break the law. So there's no reason that we can't speculate about what ha happened at, at the home of the Pelosi's with Paul Pelosi because there are obviously some questions there. There are obviously some questions about why the New York Post uh, story on Hunter Biden's laptop, which insinuates that the Bidens are, are, are engaged in a pay for play scenario. There's no reason why we can't ask those questions, but the fact is, is that the information is coming out that the DNC actually pressured Twitter not to publish the story and that affect the election. Whether or not this guy says that's preposterous that it affected the outcome of the election. It was a multi-vectored attack to keep Donald Trump from being elected. Whether it was COVID, whether it was the censorship, the mail-in ballots, the counting of ballots, everything. People have to understand is that it's everything and that they're cheating and it's an authoritarian regime 
keeping the rights of the people and the will of the people at bay so corporations could do as they see fit, which is wrong. That's one thing about capital is company capital should not be involved uh, in politics. All right, it's it for me. We'll see you tomorrow. This is all a conspiracy. No, you know that is a conspiracy.